How are you? Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. I'm glad I'm really glad to be here. Really glad to be here. So I know that I know who you are and I've been following you and I love your content and everything's so great. But can you, before we get started, started, can you share who you are, what you do, where our followers can follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sabrina. I'm a registered nurse and international board certified lactation consultant. That's a fancy way of saying lactation consultant. Love it. <laughs> um, I'm the owner of Motherly Love Lactation Services and I practice mostly in Orlando, but I do virtual consults worldwide. I love that. That is so cool about today's world, I feel like, because a specialist like you who specializes in lactation, like that's a pretty intimate thing to work with somebody on, don't you think? And the fact that say someone connects with you over social media or, or something like that finds you and they're able to actually still work with you, even though they're not in Orlando or Florida even. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing because that's one thing that kind of connects us all worldwide is we all want to feed our babies. <laughs> no matter what that looks like, we all want to feed our babies. So um, that is just a wonderful icebreaker when I'm able to meet families from all over. Do you find it hard sometimes if you can't touch or physically see um, like a woman's breast, for instance, because that's really what you're kind of analyzing and looking for a lot of the time in the latch, or do they kind of get up there like really close with the camera kind of thing? <laughs> How does so that work? It's, it's definitely like a specialty all within itself, um, making sure that I like guide the, the parent through the assessment and say, okay, what does this feel like? And for an example, like if we talk about engorgement, I say, does it feel like the tip of your forehead does it feel like the tip of your nose does it feel squishy like your lips uh we'll go into this a little bit later but if a parent is like concerned that their baby may have a tongue tie or something before our visit i'll send her a list of instructions on videos to send me send me a video of this is how you do the assessment like let's take a look into your baby's mouth and so that way when we do get together, I have all those parts and pieces and we can walk through it all together while I watch a feed. It's yeah, cool. and that information is so good because a lot of the times there might be somebody say where I'm from in Connecticut, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't reach out to her because I can't go to Florida. But it's like, there are ways to do it and you are the specialist, you know what to say, what to ask so that you can have the full grasp of the whole picture. Right, and it's it's pretty cool because it then gives the family the the feeling of going through an oral assessment in their baby's mouth, like, oh, this is what the suck is really supposed to feel like. Whereas when we do it in person, I'm doing all of it and kind of like letting the family know what I'm doing. But when we're together virtually, I'm like, okay, let's wash your hands. This is how babies should feel like when they suck and things like that. It's almost a so. it's almost a better lesson for the parent, I feel like. Because they sure. really have for to sure. be understanding and learning and right there with you, which really just helps in general because you're not gonna be there at three o'clock in the morning when they're feeding <laughs> the baby and the latch is wrong. <laughs> That's right. I do have like a selection of dolls too, which sounds really creepy but no I, have, I get it <laughs> I'm able to kind of 
model to them, okay, position your baby like this, or if it's a preemie, or if we have twins, and she can kind of mimic me at the same time. And usually there will be a partner there to help be the camera person. Yeah. Um, but if not, we figure it out. That's so cool. I love it. I just, I love it. What do you think, like, I know I had some questions for you that I sent you prior, like a rundown kind of deal. And I sent a bunch just because these conversations that I have, I think a lot of people that write in that listen just love how normal and relaxed they are. And there's not like, okay, now we have to talk about this. So it's really super cool how we can just kind of flow with conversation. But I thought I wanted to bring up how interesting it was where you said you could talk an hour about pretty much every single topic, which is so true. And it just goes to show that, hey, this is not a cut and dry thing. My baby goes on the boob and they eat. Like, or my baby has a tongue tie, let me go get it fixed. Okay, now I'm good. Like, there is so much more to it. And that's why I think you have so much information to share with people that can be so useful and so helpful. So I guess where I wanna start with you is like, in your eyes, what's the importance of having a lactation consultant in general? I would say um, mostly if we if we take it all the way back to when, like, let's say 60, 70, 80 years ago, right, when people were feeding their babies, a lot of that information was passed down through families, like grandma breastfed, you know, us all and, you know, things like that. So those generational stories with modern times get lost in translation. And so now we are, a lot of the times we're first generation breastfeeders. So we don't really know what it's supposed to look like or feel like, or, I mean, maybe we have our friend from college that just had their baby too, but you know, it's important to, to have that support system that we'd otherwise be lacking. The reality is, is that fed is, the minimum requirement like yeah. we know that, that baby has to be fed and we also know that formula is a wonderful new nutritiously diverse it's it's what you're if you are unable to breastfeed or if you don't want to breastfeed formula is not the enemy formula is not the opposite of breastfeeding <laughs> formula is a nutritionally complete option to feed your baby and um going into the whole breastfeeding realm it's important to have that additional support because it can't really be taught anywhere else you know what i'm saying like in the media we're able to see okay families feeding with bottles and this is how you prepare a bottle and things like that but breastfeeding is more than just about like you said popping the boob in a baby's mouth it's very dynamic um so it's important to have that support system there and kind of be prepared if we can beforehand because it's not something it's something that we need to learn together I should say yeah and even though it's you know naturally our our bodies are making the milk and naturally the baby wants to go to the to the breast or however it works sometimes it's really not that natural for some people right right Right. Especially if you haven't seen it before or if there were some maybe complications in delivery or maybe some hormonal things going on with the parent that they may not be able to provide a full milk supply, you know, so it's not it's a complex system that um, 
if it doesn't work, like if it doesn't jive, uh, what many pediatricians will say, there's always a reason. And back then, you know, even 30 years ago, we weren't really searching out for that reason because there wasn't this huge push for breastfeeding. There wasn't like six months minimum, one year is, is great. You know, these um, expectations that are placed on families now to breastfeed, but how do we get there? We need that support to do it. I want to know too, there are some people out there that might not know when it's time to seek lactation consultants, but you know, is that something you think they should have regardless before they even get started? How does that work? In a perfect world, I would say that lactation support or feeding support in general should be included in your prenatal care. Like it shouldn't be something that we have to find when there's trouble. The same way that we go about choosing our OB, our delivering provider or our pediatrician should honestly be the same way we scout out people that are going to help support us feed these babies <laughs> you know you, we we forget about that part we prepare for delivery and we prepare for you know sleep and all of these things all of our items but we don't prepare for how we're actually going to get the milk into the baby so i would say starting there like prenatally take some breastfeeding classes um social media is amazing which is uh how we found each other yeah <laughs> <laughs> and really interview some lactation consultants ahead of time say you know what are your thoughts about this because finding a lactation consultant that has similar values as you is so important that can i think make or make or break a feeding journey when you do seek help yeah and you hear that in the realm of of therapy right i mean you don't just jive or click with every therapist that you meet or see it might take you time you know you hear it all the time that person didn't click for me that person didn't and it's so true having a nice consultation or or interview I know that the midwife practice that I I gave birth with they had they provided a lactation consultant for the women and she was she's amazing we had such a great experience through that um so that's really helpful but I think Bringing awareness to the importance of lactation help and support is will be so helpful for new moms and women that just really, like you said, don't know anything. Starting from ground zero, like that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. For example, I went to see a family this week and um, she actually reached out what I would consider pr pretty early, about two weeks postpartum, which I think is great, getting early support when she noticed that, okay my nipples are still sore and I thought they're only supposed to be sore for a few days. This doesn't feel quite right. And so we get there and we're working through all these things with pumping and what to expect with diaper output and how do I know my baby's getting enough? And she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know any of this and I've just been winging it for two weeks. How much easier would my life have been had I known, okay, this is signs that, that my baby is getting enough. And this is signs when to reach out for help. So something as simple as what does a quote unquote normal feeding look like versus what strays from normal and when to seek help is huge. Yeah, the, the diaper output is such a big indicator. I remember hearing and not knowing as well. Um, what are some other 
maybe things like that or topics like that that you can say that new moms probably wouldn't know. Like I had zero clue, for example, about the engorgement phase. I just, I mean, I went into my lactation consultant with giant rocks and she was like, oh my God, like we need to relieve you somehow. Like, are you, are you okay? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm really hurt. Like, I think this is supposed to be what it's like. Yeah. Like I just have a lot of milk, I think. And she's like, no, like we got to figure this out. So what are some things that we can maybe prepare advice for new moms that just wouldn't know? I would say from the very, very basics of what milk is. So you start producing colostrum in your second trimester. So colostrum is the first milk that baby gets, the first milk that you produce. It's thick. It's very small in quantity because baby's bellies are tiny. So when baby is latching in the very first few days, they're getting colostrum. And then there's a transitional period where baby will cluster feed a ton. We call it second night syndrome. Baby wakes up and is like, hey, my belly's growing. I need more. So they cluster feed like crazy. And that is a very normal thing. Most parents at that time think, I must not have enough milk. I don't see any of this white stuff coming out. So my baby must be starving. My baby must not be getting enough. That's usually where some formula supplement comes in. And just kind of guiding them through that and knowing, okay, your milk will probably transition closer to the end of the first week. That's when you'll start to see the more thin white milk um, and just kind of letting them know what the normal physiological process of milk production is. Yeah, that's so true too. I mean, I feel like a new mom can could get so nervous and so scared right away. Sure, just not sure. knowing if their milk's gonna come in. I know I was super scared about that, so I ordered these lactation cookies to have like at my doorstep when I got home from the hospital. <laughs> Chow down on those, and everything worked out good. But I mean, if I didn't do it's that research, I was just like freaking <laughs> out about it. But that's a really good point. I love how you said that is a lot of the time where parents are supplementing is in that period, that first little period where their baby seems just so hungry, I'm not producing the milk. That makes sense that they would feel that way. But to know that you can work through it and you can get through it is helpful. Right, right. And to, um, to realize that if you, let's, this is for my, my pumping mamas out there. There are some people that want to pump right out the gate and don't want to put baby to the breast at all. So if they are choosing the route of exclusive pumping, when you begin pumping in that colostrum phase, you don't see that white milk. You, it's usually very sti sticky. So there are other ways to like hand express and get that milk out. Whereas if you, if, imagine if you were two days postpartum and you're like, I have to start pumping for my baby or I'm separated from my baby, they're in the NICU and I'm pumping for them and you're not seeing that milk come out, it's because the pump can't get that colostrum out. It's not quite ready for that transition just yet. But that causes huge, huge um, anxiety in families for sure. I love that you brought that up. What do you do in that situation if you are a NICU mom? That's something unpredictable. That's something, you know, say I wanna be a breastfeeding mom, but I 
medically I can't get to my baby, but I don't want to hinder that process along the way. What's the advice there? Usually uh, what NICUs will do is they will provide donor milk. So they'll be able to have, I mean, formula use in NICUs is still very prevalent, but depending on your baby's age, they will have a stash of donor milk to begin feeding your baby while you are working on getting your milk supply started and hand expressing and getting that out. So if baby's able to take milk feedings, then um, they're kind of supplemented with that until you're able to provide what you can for your little one. Oh, okay. So it is a time thing. It really, there's really not much more you can do other than the self-expression and the pumping and those kind of things to get that going. Yep. And if you're close by to your baby, let's say you're in the same hospital, then you can, um, take it, like express your colostrum, even if it's a small amount and bring it to the NICU and they use it to put it inside baby's gums because of the amazing properties it has. So even if it's just drops, they still use it all for your little one. What would you say, um, because you brought up the amazing properties and, you know, some people are really on the fence. Should I breastfeed? Should I just formula feed? I don't really know. Do I want to All right, so you're going to have me geek out for a minute. Yes, I love this. this. (laughs) Yes. So I love this question because um, although formula is nutritionally complete for your baby, it is a a static food. So it has the same amount of nutrients, vitamins, all of those things the whole time. Breastfeeding, breast milk is actually a living, breathing organism. So when... When we talk about that, we talk about the, the immune properties that it has, that formula just doesn't have. And um, that helps to protect baby against illnesses. For example, if you were sick and you breastfed your baby, your body would be developing those antibodies to protect your baby from becoming sick. So that is a huge selling point, I think, right now, especially in the area of the pandemic, I've actually had families contact me for relactating, like, hey, I stopped breastfeeding, but Omicron picked up, help me to get my milk supply back so we can get these antibodies to this baby. Wow. Wait a second. Crazy. My friend is literally going through that um, similar situation. She stopped for about two or three weeks. What? So that like, I literally know somebody going through that. What is the advice? How do you get the milk back? (laughs) (laughs) So it's really an individual basis. So I would say, you know, seek out your lactation consultant for this. But generally speaking, if we can trick our bodies for a couple weeks to thinking that you're back in the initial postpartum phase, like the feeding every two hours, getting that stimulation in, putting baby back skin to skin, your body remembers how to do it. So then it will start reproducing that milk slowly. We don't know how long it takes to build a full milk supply or if that can be accomplished, the full milk supply. But um, we know that any bit of that milk contains those antibodies. Wow. I, that's such a good way to think about it. So there's two categories. There's relactation where you pause and start it over. And then there's something, this is wild, but it's called induced lactation, which means you've never, ever lactated before. You trick your body into thinking it was pregnant and you can begin producing milk. No way. 
So I have worked with some non-binary families that um, want the birthing parent wanted to breastfeed and so did the other parent and we, we made it work. No, that is the coolest <laughs> thing I've literally ever heard. My mind is blown. That is the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. How amazing. And then they can all experience, like, that is super yeah. cool. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty neat. So, I, I mean, you can do it. Like, the body is just wild. That's, wow, I'm blown away. It's wild. It's <laughs> wild. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I want to talk about this whole issue, which I actually went through. The tongue tie, the lip tie, the cheek ties. Who the heck know that knew there were seven ties? Yes, yes. <laughs> I got right, to the so let's, Yeah, let's tell begin. me. <laughs> tell me. So okay. Okay, so there are there is everyone has I'm trying to figure out where to begin. Okay. Yeah. So everybody has frenula. We have these pieces of tissue that's under our tongue, under our lip, that are meant to be there, right? They have a functional purpose. However, sometimes in development, they are developed with that they are stretchier or tighter, depending on where they're inserted. Are they all the way to the front of the tongue? Are they further back? Um, and if that piece of tissue affects the way the mouth functions, then it's considered a tie. So we can't just diagnose a tongue tie just by looking at somebody's tongue and we see the little string there. We actually, a, a, a good, well-trained provider will go through a functional assessment. Can you do stick your tongue out? Can you cup with the tongue? Can you make a seal? Can you lateralize, move it side to side? And so from there, we can determine, okay, if there is some function that is impaired, baby's probably having some trouble with feeding. That's our like first indicator that something's going on. The parent usually says, hey, my baby can't latch or it hurts or my baby is feeding all the time but never seems satisfied. Like what's going on here? Those are some of the first signs we see. Wow. And then once you diagnose, what's the next step? So as a lactation provider, we aren't the ones to diagnose. We're the ones to help with the functional assessment and then refer to the pediatrician and say, here, this is what we see. This is what we think this is. And they are the ones usually to do the definitive, yes, this is ankyloglossia, which is the term for it. At that point, it's, it's difficult because the pediatrician will then counsel the families on their options. And usually the options they think of immediately is, a tongue tie release or a clipping, or some people would would know it as like a laser release. And really it's tough because pediatricians hands are tied in this, in this situation, because there's not a lot of evidence that shows that getting it corrected will benefit the symptoms that the parent's feeling. So what we know now is that it's not just about taking away that little piece of tissue it's about oral rehabilitation meaning suck training oral motor therapy and making sure that when that tongue is released we train the tongue the cheeks the lips the jaw to fall into place and do what it's supposed to be doing okay so do you think like i know it's situational but 
there are times where you don't have to go through with a laser or clipping and you can correct it. Is that what you mean? If the frenulum is not the main cause of it, like if we're able to do this, the, some exercises and things like that to restore the function of the tongue and the right placement in the mouth and things like that, then there may not be a phrenotomy that's needed. That's okay. Correct. So I wanted to talk to you about this specific kind of specific situation because I feel like a lot of people could get in the same kind of issue that I ran into with this whole journey when I back when she was younger. So I went to the lactation consultant and we ended up determining that she had a tongue tie and a lip tie at the top. Um, she mm-hmm. just had a super shallow latch, but I was never in pain. She was always get, gaining weight. Um, I really don't think I have very sensitive nipples, so I think that attributed to that. Um, right. So I was referred to a baby, like an infant chiropractor. We did that. She did a bunch of like oral stretches. Um, we saw another lactation consultant just to get a second opinion because the first one recommended just to see. And um, we ended up going to the pediatric dentist and he showed us a PowerPoint, showed me in her mouth exactly all the ties. She had six out of the seven. She had like all four cheek ties, the tongue and one of her (laughs) lips. And my pediatrician actually, who I love, trust, so great. He actually was like, okay, let's send you to an ENT. So we went there and the ENT was like, no, I don't think she needs anything done. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, this is now I'm very, now I'm a new mom. I'm hormonal. I have this baby that like, I know she's having gas issues. She has mucus in her poop. So that's the real reason why they were all like, maybe she's just very restricted. So I want to share this part of it because I feel like, some people like this wasn't a very cut and dry situation of okay my baby wasn't latching or i was in pain right so there's right. so much more to it sometimes and i ended up going with the dentist uh, or the pediatric dentist and the lactation consultants and the and the chiro- baby chiropractor um all their advice and going through with the laser because i just i just felt in the long run i would never look back and if she ever had choking issues or speech issues or constant migraines like those are all things that I could prevent and Mm -hmm. so yeah so how with that go with that being said what's your professional opinion if you do kind of run into a sticky situation where your pediatrician isn't really agreeing with you um but you know pediatricians they don't have as much experience as they do as you do with breastfeeding Right. So what's your take? So what what we do, um, we do our best to communicate what evidence we do have with the pediatrician. So we have screening tools to classify the tongue ties. We have um, a phrenotomy decision making tool, um, you know, saying, okay, this this baby meets this criteria, which means that a in if oral rehabilitation fails, then a phrenotomy is indicated. So we're able to kind of express those things, but um, it's so important to just reiterate your your comment when you said that it's, it's not always like the cut and dry symptoms because the tongue plays a much bigger role than 
just feeding. It plays a huge role in actually our airway um, development. So if the tongue doesn't rest on the palate because the roof of your mouth, because it's restricted, then babies can tend to form really narrow palates which means a narrow airway. So then we have babies that are mouth breathers, we have snoring, we have grinding of our teeth. And we know that in elementary school age, that can mimic signs of ADHD and hyperactivity and all of that. So airway plays a really big role in addition to starting solids, teeth formation, like the little ones that usually need palate expanders and headgear and braces, if you dig deep enough, you probably will find a tie. <laughs> wow. Because the tongue is such an important piece to mold the face. It's incredible. The face and with my journey, it was the GI system. I mean, it goes all the way down, I learned. And I mean, she, once that we had that release done, she could even turn her head more like it was just wild um so it really is something i would say women should or you know mother new mothers should look into because sometimes you do have to dig a little bit deeper like you were saying right and finding a team that you have like your lactation support if you're concerned with that your baby may have a tongue tie making sure that you find a lactation consultant that is skilled and is trained Um, in that specific area because it is a subspecialty so they are the ones that can refer you to you know the chiropractors or the craniosacral therapists that can help release some of that tension that your baby has built up from having difficulty feeding all those compensatory mechanisms you know build up they can also refer you if you need OT or PT because ties affect the entire body just like you said and with the GI system that's often a sign that's missed among families because we don't really talk about it the vagus nerve that's responsible for digestion runs along the palate so if when baby swallows that tongue isn't rubbing along the palate we're not regulating the digestive system and usually you see babies with milk tongue that is you know that that coating of milk on their tongue that people are like oh it's thrush no, it's because they're, your body's supposed to be self-cleaning. That tongue didn't rub on the palate. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. We had one of the biggest things that I noticed was mucus in her poop. It was just sure. so mucusy. And I'm like, how the heck is that all correlated? It's just, again, so intricate. The The whole system is just very planned it's it's very interesting to once you get to know it and and figure it out but mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if I'll ever figure it out there's way too much <laughs> I think the biggest advice I would give to families is if you are if you think your baby has a tongue tie don't go straight to getting it cut there is pre-work that should be done ahead of time to kind of make sure that baby knows how to use their tongue properly and their cheeks and their lips and their jaw because that will help on the other side of the phrenotomy because it's if there's an oral motor thing going on it's a pretty long journey it doesn't always immediately fix it once the tongue is released so having some of that prep work done ahead of time when that tongue is released then baby has a lot easier time transitioning because now they know what to do with that tongue Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then 
do you work with parents that after they have the release, if they do, and what does that look like afterwards? Afterwards, there's definitely a healing process. So um, first week is usually the most difficult because you had a, a little procedure, you know, like let's call it what it is. Baby's uncomfortable. And um, there's usually some post-op stretches and aftercare that's recommended by the provider to make sure things are healing well and that piece of skin doesn't reattach. So going through that process, usually by week three, families feel like they are in a better groove with feeding. And then by six to eight weeks, they're like, all right, I'm so glad we did this. Everything is much better now. Um, and hindsight's always 2020. But when you're in, when you're in it, babies still may go back to feeding some of the ways that they used to because it's a learning process. So I I always tell my families, think of feedings as peaks and valleys. Some feedings are gonna be great, and we're looking for those small victories to outweigh the ones where we feel like we're struggling a little bit still. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I I love how you said that every family has and be, earlier I love how you said every family has their own journey and this is just another one of them right I mean not everyone has to go through the tongue tie revision or release um I think they call mm -hmm. it um yeah. but you might and then there's help that you can get for afterwards right absolutely yeah that's so great so I did want to just touch upon um working moms, moms that go to work um, mm -hmm. and have to do the whole, you know, maybe they stayed home for four to six weeks or six to 10 weeks with their baby at home and they were able to breastfeed exclusively, but now they have to pump. I would say when you are going back to work, there's, uh, especially in the social media realm, there's a huge um, misconception that you need a giant freezer stash full of milk before you return to work. Um, and so for some families, that's really just not feasible. That's not how their body works. And they're unable to collect all that extra milk in addition to feeding their baby. So really what you need is one day's worth of work um, while you're away. Because, for example, let's say you're going to work on Monday. You should have the amount of milk that you'll need for Monday in the freezer. And then when you're at work on Monday, you're pumping around the same time that your baby's eating at home and what you pump on Monday is going to be what you give to baby on Tuesday while you're away. away. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's so a good point, not to stress that. about about that because there is a lot of people out there that have a huge milk supply and some that don't. And it's not a big deal. You don't have to supplement with formula or, it, you know, you don't really have to, you're saying. Right. Yeah, and when you start thinking about collecting milk, I would say, like building up that stash, I would say start that probably after you know that your baby is on a good weight gain trajectory, your milk supply is established, you've gotten a good group, because for the first two to three weeks, all of that extra milk that you have will likely need to go to baby because they're growing so quickly. So don't worry about feeding the freezer just yet. Wait a couple weeks usually about two to three weeks, then you can start adding in one pumping session a day, usually in the morning, to bring into to begin freezing for your milk stash. And that's really that's really it. <laughs> don't, yeah. Don't go overboard. <laughs> don't go overboard. Yeah. 
The storing of breast milk, I feel like, is kind of complex, right? And there's a lot to it. Do you want to touch upon that and maybe some tips on storing it for others that don't really know? Yeah, so at room temperature, your milk is still good to drink for four hours. So if you pump and you leave it out in the room for four hours, it's still good for baby's next feeding. And if you put it in the refrigerator, it's good for four days. And then in the freezer, about six months to a year, depending on how you stored it. A deep freezer, it's good for a year. So what you want to do when you are storing it is make sure that the milk is in the back of where you're storing it, away from the opening and closing of the refrigerator and the freezer, because that can affect expiration time and nobody wants to calculate that. So just keep it in the back, <laughs> away from other food and things like that that can contaminate it. And, um, and then use the oldest milk first when you can. Do express like extra colostrum. You can save it for sick days and things like that. And your baby gets a little boost of antibodies. Full discretion. I had I had a, a freezer bag like that. I had a couple of them like that. And I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And so whenever any of us were sick, I'd give some to my little one. And then I'd also put some in like a smoothie or something for my older one. So we all just had a little shot of breast milk smoothie inside other smoothies. Hey, that's, <laughs> a, absolutely. that's a really good idea. I'll tell you, I'll one up <laughs> you on the, on that because, okay, before I even had a baby, <laughs> this is really funny before I even had a baby. My sister had a baby six years ago and I had gotten like pink eye or something and she was breastfeeding and she's like, hey, put this in your eye. It'll like clear it up. I did. And I'm not kidding you. I didn't have pink eye anymore like an hour later. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. My husband always like laughs at me about that. He's like, oh, yeah, Mackenzie, why don't you go put some breast milk in your eye? <laughs> Listen, it's hey, hey, you can't mess with science. Science says it. You can't. <laughs> and I not. mean. The truth. Uh, it's just true. A little discretion. If you have an infection, go see your healthcare provider. <laughs> However, I'm not a doctor. We does. all know this. <laughs> but it does. Um, the breast milk has anti-inflammatory properties, and it has stem cells. Which I'm going to geek out for a second again. Stem cells can turn into the tissue that you want it to turn into, and that's what makes it so powerful. So, like stem cell transplants and stem cell research, it's huge breast milk stem cells so it, that's what helps in healing different body parts so ear infections circumcision some some families just take a couple drops and put it on the healing circumcision wow um, remember not medical advice just saying what people do hey <laughs> but, this is yeah, just it's incredible yeah i mean homeopathic ideas for you right is that what we can call it <laughs> breast so, milk yeah. in the eye <laughs> i love it well, I just, what else do you have? Any, any other information before we start wrapping up? Um, I just love all this information. I could just talk to you forever, I feel like, about all things breast milk and lactation. <laughs> yes. I would say the biggest thing is a breastfeeding journey is that, and it looks different for every family. There's no right or wrong way to breastfeed. And so many people are intimidated to even begin the journey because of the expectations they place on themselves. Minimum six months, one year. Um, so, you know, if there is supplementation that's needed, just make sure that one, 
that you come to a place that you're okay with it. You're like, hey, I'm still feeding my baby. There's no guilt in the way that I'm feeding my baby. And then seek support to help you continue to make sure that your baby gets what they need. And you are also achieving your feeding goals because how you feel matters too. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I think it's so important as women and as mothers who are going through this journey to remember that how you're feeling is really important too. And just, and again, just because you have these expectations doesn't mean that they can't, they aren't able to be tweaked a little bit and, um, but still kind of keep you on a path that makes you happy. Right. And it's absolutely. And my, my whole goal is to make sure that I'm providing families with the tools and the resources they need to confidently feed their baby, no matter what that looks like. So if anyone is like interested in doing a consult with me, we can do that. I also have tons of online workshops. Pumping Back to Work is one of my best-selling ones because I give away all the tips. Okay, can you like, tell us a little bit to... about where we can find that, where they can, like, tell me all the workshop info. Yes. <laughs> so my, over at motherlylovelactation.com, I have workshops on pumping. I have workshops on pumping back to work specifically, where we go over pumping schedules, um, how much milk to leave for your baby, storage, what to put in your pumping bag, how to get sleep while you're working and pumping and doing all those things. Um, and I also have a prenatal bundle where everything that we talk about what we talked about today is included in there. We have video series and it includes a prenatal visit with me as well. Amazing. And I think that that's so helpful because that's a tailor-made kind of structured for you individualized consultation and appointment mm -hmm. that's not just generalized. So it's called Ready, Set, Breastfeed, and Pumping 101 is in there, um, how to bottle feed a breastfed baby, what to expect for milk supply, how to prepare your caregivers, um, all, all of the things that you'll need to know within the first six weeks, so that way, in addition to talking to me, when you're up at three in the morning and middle of the night, you're like, oh, she had a video on that. What did she say about that again? And you can go and reference it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on this episode of the 20 something mom. I seriously cannot thank you enough. And I know that so many moms out there are gonna be so excited to hear this and get all the info and find you. So where can we follow you again on Instagram and any other social media platforms that you're on? On Instagram, I'm at motherlylove underscore lactation. And you can find me and my blog and everything else at motherlylovelactation.com. Perfect. Oh my gosh, Brittany. I'm so excited for this episode. Thank you for I'm having me. so happy. <laughs> it was so nice to meet you and talk with you. And thank you so much to everyone who listens each week. Supporting the 20 something mom podcast is so amazing and so helpful to so many out there. Join us back again next week for another episode of the 20 something mom with me, Mackenzie Frank.